Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 19 of the Trap Rock 101 podcast and uh, welcome to 2021 as well. Uh, I am your host, John Burns, glad to have you with me, glad to uh, get back in the routine of uh, putting out podcasts on a regular basis. We, uh, we kind of got off schedule a little bit there in November and uh, December after our trip to Key West. But uh, we're back at it now. Um, the plan is is that uh, Trap Rock 101 will come out every other Thursday. That's going to be the plan for the foreseeable future. That's a nice pace that shouldn't be too hard for me to keep up and uh, be getting new content to you guys on a regular basis. Looking forward to that. Uh, my guest today is the one and only Chris Hillier from the Detentions, better known as Hillbilly. Um, known Chris for six years now, I think we figured out during the interview. Uh, he, uh, he, he is a Texas guy, uh, Texas transplant. He grew up in Nebraska and, uh, got to have a lot of fun, a lot of good times with Chris and Dan Sullivan from the detentions over the past five or six years. Uh, very lucky to call Chris a friend and really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, we covered a lot of ground, talked about, uh, meeting Dan in the early days of the detentions. We talked about, some of his uh, musical influences that are that are pretty unique when it comes to folks in the trop rock community, and uh, much more than that, we talked about Coast and the uh, the big boost in exposure that that song brought to uh, Dan and Chris when it hit Radio Margaritaville a few years ago. So I hope you enjoy it. Also, want to remind you, Trop Rock One Hundred and One. the uh, The goal here is is to kind of create a oral history of the trop rock genre. And really get into the backstory of of uh, the artists and other people who make the the uh, community go. Uh, that's why I interviewed just Chris. Uh, we've already interviewed Coley McCabe. Didn't interview Tom. Already interviewed Melanie Howe. Didn't interview Kitty Stedman. Uh, we are purposely breaking up the duos and the bands so that we can really talk to each person individually. Uh, as a person and really get into their personal history and backstory uh, somewhere down the road we will have dan on the show and talk about his his path to trop rock and his time in trop rock but this one is all about uh chris hillier so uh i think that's it for all the housekeeping don't forget to uh find us online piratesandpoets.net uh keep up it looks like we're going to start having some shows later on this year super excited about that but until then enjoy uh, my conversation with chris hillier all right. So, uh, yeah, uh, Dan and I uh, were first year school teachers together at Chisholm Trail Middle School in Round Rock, uh, Texas. Um, it was only my second teaching job. I don't know how far he was into the gig by then. I know he was a uh, off-Broadway actor. That's kind of led, what led him to uh, Austin, I think, is uh, being flown to town to, to do all those big musical review shows that were at Bass Concert Hall and stuff. But uh, uh, I got hired three weeks after school started, uh, which is awesome because I've, I've never in my three different teaching jobs ever had to go through new teacher orientation. I always got hired at the wrong time, like I was a late fill-in. So, uh, <laughs> you know, where you learn how to talk to your peers in the proper way, I, I never went through that training. But uh, uh, I met Dan in the, in the men's faculty bathroom. I was walking in and he was peeing and he gave me like that kind of classic Audrey Hepburn over the shoulder where he looked at me like that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> who is this tall drink of water? Uh, anyway, we just kind of, it's weird. We ended up knowing some of the same people. I'm from the music scene in Lincoln and Omaha. And, uh, 
at some point I've played in a contemporaneous sort of situation with Dan's buddies, uh, Kevin and CJ. And uh, so when Dan and I first met, we kind of started talking about music and we're like, what, you know, Kevin, well, I know Kevin. Oh, you know, CJ, well, I know CJ, you know, Scott, well, I know Scott. And uh, just to kind of blow off tension on Fridays, we'd get together in his, he taught theater. So we get together in his big theater room with our guitars and, play a couple of tunes. Dan and I were thick as thieves from the beginning. Uh, they just had their new baby, Jaylee, who's in college now. And uh, we'd hang out sometimes on the weekends. But Dan and I learned, I don't know, seven, eight songs. I think uh, Sister Golden Hair, a uh, John Cougar Mellencamp song, I'm pretty sure, maybe an Eagles song. And uh, one day our principal came by Friday afternoon and she poked her head in the room and said, what are you guys, you sound good singing together would you learn some Christmas songs for our staff meeting uh, coming up? It was uh, December 19th, 2004, maybe. Uh, yeah, it was 2004 because the first gig that I ever did with y'all, Pirates and Poets show at T-Bone Toms, was, uh, I remember Dan telling me this, it was you know, the same week as the 10th anniversary of y'all's first show. So that was 2014? That was 2014, yeah. Okay, yeah, that totally was it. Look at John Boy doing math like that. Wow. <laughs> I, I know, i finally grown up. So Nice, good. Look at you going. You're able to not even count in like 10s. You're counting 24s and 12s. That's impressive, my friend. <laughs> you did that with the fluidity of a person with a much younger brain than yours, too. That's awesome. almost want to watch you play video games games now because you must be good at them if your brain's that fast uh i don't know that i could turn the video game system on much less play it so. oh <laughs> yeah okay anyway back back to the first attention show oh Cr right christmas well yeah party. so then uh we went to the uh, we played some christmas songs at 10 in the morning in our library maybe even it was at like eight in the morning in the libraries people walk in and got there since it's Texas, got in, came in, got their breakfast tacos and coffee, because that's what we do for breakfast in Texas. And uh, that night, we went to the staff Christmas party, which was at a coffee shop in downtown Round Rock, uh, which got closed shortly after this, uh, because they held a drag queen show. And that's just is not what you did in Round Rock back in the day. And they got the local town just basically shut them down because of that outrage. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we played our we played our four Christmas songs that we knew, and then the four other songs we knew. And the lady from the coffee shop hired us, and uh, she hired us for four hours. Uh, and uh, be confident we could do twenty minutes. <laughs> uh, oh, our buddy Marty Linville, kind of a, a, a blues guy, been around the world, played all over the place. Really good musician, real good singer, fun guy to watch. Uh, he and his band played three and a half hours and Dan and I played 20 minutes. And that's how the detentions technically started. There may even have been a discussion as what our name was going to be that night before we played. I, I was going to ask at what point did the detentions become the official? Uh... Oh, right at the beginning. But I think there was uh, uh, beans and little smoky. I think that might've been a choice or a little smoky and beans, something like that. Some sort of food and, and sausage, of course, with the detentions. We're going to be talking about sausages, of course. And uh, that may have been one of the – there was three 
three choices and detention's one out. Thank goodness. Well, I mean, it just Bean's makes a little sense. smoky. Yeah, Bean's a little smoky would have sucked. <laughs> well, it makes sense with, with school teachers. The interesting thing to me is, uh, at least me growing up, detention was something that, you know, didn't really come into the world until junior high. Uh, you know, uh, I don't really know that detention is a, is a thing for most elementary students. And you guys both teach elementary school. That's always kind of no, I teach, we we met teaching middle school. Okay. I still I teach middle school, but Dan teaches elementary school. Yeah. So gotcha. That makes sense now then. So, but we kind of had that. We sort of had detention in, in my school and uh, not me growing up, but the one that I work at, uh, it, but it's called in school suspension instead. The crazy thing is, is, uh, when I first started working here, I started working here in 2001. Um, uh, I've been working at the same school the whole time I've been here. I just love it there. But I was talking to, the principals that were working then were old school. They'd all been there 10, 15 years before me. And they were telling me how it used to like paddling was a thing here in Texas. Oh yeah. Which is amazing to hear that. Like you come in and get your licks on uh, Friday. So you wouldn't have to come to weekend suspension on Saturday and Sunday. You come in and get your three swats or whatever. And uh, that's just the craziest fucking thing I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it'd be, you, you'll do anything to, to save a Saturday, I guess. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my principal is saying all these kids would get – normally it was like the football player guys would get in trouble for uh, cupcaking, which is a teacher code word for grab ass and in the hallway. And uh, they would all get Saturday detention. And he's like, you know, uh, Friday afternoon, uh, the whole football team would come and go, can we trade in our Saturdays for a SWAT? And he's like, oh, really? Because that's what I wanted is both my arms to be sore going home on a Friday. Oh, but, uh, goodness. So, I think with all good principles, he got one of those uh, cricket sort of bats with the holes in it. So there's more uh, aerodynamic and you could get up a real swing to make a loud <laughs> popping noise. I don't know. You Texans. I'm uh, glad I'm here. Glad I didn't grow up here. So. Well, you know, I, I'm 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 from Arkansas originally. That's kind of something that you, uh, you and Dan are, you know, definitely from kind of the the western part of the Midwest. I guess you know, you're from Nebraska and Dan's from Missouri. But but I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas, which you know, culturally is very different. But in a straight line, we weren't very far apart from each other. You're best straight so. south, kind of. Yeah. At least to Kansas City. So how did you how did you end up in Texas from? Uh, uh, so I, uh, uh, spent some time not going to college and I kind of went back late and ended up getting a teaching degree, uh, cause I thought I would be a good cautionary tale to kids, which is bullshit. Cause kids don't fucking care what you did wrong. They got to do it all wrong themselves. So that was a big mistake on my part. I've come to enjoy the job for different reasons, but, uh, when I graduated, uh, right there in 2000, 2001, after going back the second time, after the university asked me to leave the first time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my grades weren't keeping up with things. Uh, a special ed teacher had carte blanche. They needed special ed teachers the world over. So uh, I would walk into a, like a teacher job fair, which was popular back in the time, and literally people would chase me around. So, uh, the summer before my wife and I moved here, we weren't planning on moving to Texas. We thought, well, let's try, let's try uh, Southern Florida. Cause we both love the beach down there. 
<laughs> that's it. Southern Florida is a crazy place. Love you people down there. I don't know how you live there, but uh, every job I applied for in Florida, I got offered even before I applied for the job. I just walked in and went, hey, I'm Chris Hillier. I'm a special teacher. I'm applying. They're like, when can you start? <laughs> uh, but uh, I had two of my younger brothers got their doctorates at UT. My brother, Mike, and my brother, Andrew, both got their doctorates at UT, or at least they did some of their schooling and got their doctorates. I don't know how that stuff works, but uh, so I've been coming to Austin for a number of years. And after things kind of didn't really work out with us moving down to South Florida, which might as well have been moving to the equator as far as environmental change from Nebraska and just cultural change. Uh, we ended up thinking, well, shit, it's so easy for me to get a job. Let's just move to Austin. And we got here and there were no jobs for me. Uh, <laughs> we were here. We were here. We were almost out of money. We we're getting ready to move back to Nebraska and live with our parents because we we're like, shit, that was a mistake. And uh, I managed to get a job interview with the prison and with the school that I'm still working at. And I didn't think I was going to get either of the jobs because my interviews were terrible. If any of you have ever met me and talked to me, you totally know why the interview was bad for me. Uh, but uh, we're just getting ready to kind of sneak out of our lease in our apartment because we didn't have any more money and we need to go back home when my school called and offered me a job. And I accepted it crying almost because 20 minutes later, the prison called. And offered me a job. And I'm sure if I'd, they'd called it earlier and I'd taken a teaching job at the prison, I totally would not be living in Texas anymore. I don't think it's your first job out of college teaching in a prison for a guy like me would probably be a good. Other than finding good places to buy weed, I don't know. I would have been out of here pretty quick. That's crazy. This, you know, the, the small things, the, time, the things at the time that don't seem like a big deal 10 years down the road you look back and go, wow, that's kind of, that was a big turning point and you didn't realize it at the I time. Think, uh, I accepted a job in Fort Myers, Florida, and it was at a uh, special magnet school for 5,000 high school kids. And it was science and theater. And my job was going to be two things. One, I was going to be the director because they had a, like a United States wide recognized a musical theater program that like had performed at the white house and done all this stuff. And I was going to run the pit orchestra. And then also I would have taught a special ed class where I went out to the beach once a day and we did some sort of a census of animals on the beach. Uh, and I accepted it. But then after a little while, it kind of got to me that I don't really know how to read music and I've never been the leader of an orchestra, much less like a, a talented high school, you know, I play guitar with Dan Sullivan. That's about as technical as it gets for me. <laughs> but after a while, it wore down to me that they didn't even really ask me for proof that I knew how to do this stuff. They just went, yep, you're hired. When can you start? And I kind of freaked out. So I ended up not taking the job and we moved to Austin just on a whim. So that's kind of what led to the possibility of me and Dan meeting Wow. Luckily, I had a dick, uh, you know. Yeah. First, our first impressions are are pretty important. He's a pretty fun guy for the first time I met him. That's like considering how much time that dude and I have spent together since 2001. Yeah, y'all are uh, – Yeah. Y'all are something else. I mean, it's uh, 
it's something else to watch out and and i've been friends with y'all for for six years now and uh it's it's been uh, impressive how close y'all are and uh how you st- stick by each other and it's a it's a it's a cool thing y'all have it's it's definitely more than just a friendship i've, I've heard you talk about you've met dan and you you know got a second wife and a daughter and a dog and all this other stuff <laughs> yeah he's uh yeah yeah it's kind of a special thing I will say, though, also, John Boy, I was thinking about today, I was in a conversation with a co-worker, and I told him I was going to do kind of a, an interview sort of thing, which normally I wouldn't do. I'm not I'm not big on it. Normally, I'm such a fucking smart ass that I would just derail it. But I told my co-worker, it's like, surprisingly, the person that I'm talking to is one of those rare people that I feel comfortable talking to, because I'm sure most of you out there know me as Hillbilly. But John knows me as Chris, because he's seen the insecure, sad, and all that kind of stuff, me. And you know, we've sat down and been kind of that way with each other. So it's, it's exciting to be able to talk to my buddy, John, today like this. But, uh, you know, I share a hotel room with Dan Sullivan, and I used to do it a lot, and we mm-hmm. still like talk to each other. That yeah. dude, he'd say the same thing about me. Uh, <laughs> well, let's let's go back to the early days of the detentions. Uh so the, the songs you rattled off earlier kind of sounds yeah. like the, the, you know, detention 0.0 was pretty classic Rocky. Um, oh, it totally was. It was all Dan's songbook uh, from when he was on the trying to be a troubadour in Kansas city and in St. Louis. And then when he got on the cruise ship and he learned to do it professionally, uh, I think he'd tell you probably the reason was that is he was going to get crew price drinks once he started doing that. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the whole story of Dan's songbook and how he put it together and how, when his ship started on fire, one of Dan's buddies ran into his room that was burning up. And the only thing he saved was that songbook because uh, he knew that was the most important thing to Dan. But we definitely, it was all Dan's songbook, but then we also had to like learn some songs that I could do. Uh, so that's why we sang the five covers that I sing and then the, do the 120 songs that Dan knows. Uh, <laughs> so, but, so when did y'all kind of take a turn towards, um, I, I don't want to necessarily say trop rock, but, but just more of that. Uh, and of course y'all were always just an acoustic duo, but, when did you start doing more of the uh, the songs that were had originally been rec- been done acoustic? I mean, uh, was the was the Jerry Jeff and the Guy Clark and the you know some of the folk rock people were they always in y'all's catalog or did that get added as you went along? Um, you mean like as far as music that we played? Yeah, our originals. Um, when we started, it was the popular catalog. It was fucking Hotel California. Uh, 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 Pink Houses Even though that's not a song we ever played We played all the other John Cougar songs Eagles uh, James Taylor And I think Because Dan is a smart business guy I never would have figured it out But he's also like we gotta do fucking Jamie Buffett And we gotta start learning some of these Texas guys Maybe the Texas guys came Two or three years into us After we learned Dan's songbook you know, the hundred songs in Dan's songbook. We, once we learned those, uh, Dan's always been more of a songwriter guy and a music research dude. 
I wasn't that much into Texas music and he kind of made me start listening to it. I wasn't into songwriters. He made me start listening to all that stuff. Um, I would say probably the same time we started doing our original songs is the time we started also covering Robert Earl and Jerry Jeff and stuff like that. Those may have been fairly contemporary because uh, unbeknownst to me, it was probably a factor in Dan's songwriting, us being Texas dudes. It was, it was factoring into his stuff more than it does with mine. Uh, but that, it makes sense that we would start learning to cover those about that time. Yeah. What what year did the, the first record come out? Uh, I want to say 13, but that's probably not right. It might be earlier than that. I think Let's 13 would have been would have been the second one that had coast on it okay then uh yeah three years before that so nine eight or nine okay yeah so what 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 led up to that i mean because i want to hear that story how do you go from just playing covers and dance songbook to to writing and recording your own music uh Uh, i I know you write some but i also know that dan is is kind of the force behind that with y'all he is the force behind that um I am a groove-oriented riff fucking guy because my background is writing heavy metal. So writing, sitting down and writing stuff on an acoustic guitar is hard for me because playing chords and working on it that way is not how I do it. I take a couple of notes and let other people build on top of that just because of the contrast, I guess, yeah. get the base of the song. So, uh, And also writing... I don't know. For me, it has to kind of pop into it and show up. I'm not like Dan. I don't spend a lot of time out in the garage playing guitar and woodshedding. Um, I practice my scales. I try to remember stuff that I've forgotten. And uh, every once in a while, I'll get an idea. Maybe the idea for a story comes before the riff or the riff fits a story. For me, it's really hard to write stuff for two acoustic guitars. Uh, But we had started stuff and Dan had a couple in store, maybe like most of Nassau town and stuff like that was kind of ready to roll. Uh, those music guys that I told you, we both knew from Nebraska that yeah. moved down Dan met in Texas, like Kevin stuff. They had enough money because they had been doing well enough personally, privately that they built a studio. And uh, it took us two years to record that first record. But the reason was we could only do it when Dan's buddy, Kevin was in town, Dan, or I mean, uh, Kevin works all over the world and he's not in town a lot. So just, we just had to pull like a 18 hours straight in the studio and Kevin happened to be in town and we got all our kind of friends. It's, it's like you do it the old fashioned way. Not like Dan, our third, you know, the second, third and fourth record where we tried to be real professional about it. This was uh, friends and creative people that we knew kind of, we just borrowed them. And that's how that came out to be. It's mostly all Dan. I think as usual, as per album, I've got a hand in one or two songs and that was definitely the way in the first album. Yeah. I, I, I kind of look at you and Dan as a, you know, and I'm probably talking more about the stage show here than, than the, on the record, but, uh, you know, Dan's kind of the front guy, the, the songwriter guy. Um, and you bring a different energy 
and uh, like you kind of said, with some of the guitar playing and and energy and performance uh, that I think comes from your your heavy metal background. And I think the two those are two very different backgrounds that y'all have made work well, especially from an on stage perspective. Um, that that more songwritery Texas front guy thing with a with a rock and roll sideman. Uh, you know, I, I, know, I don't mean to call you a sideman, but oh, no. you know, those, those two different totally. roles, you know, on stage. That's how I describe it, too. Uh, I would say we're kind of like the uh, Donnie and Marie of Trap Rock because Dan is, uh, <laughs> and I'm not saying which one of us is which, but Dan is very affirmative. He's a very positive guy. He's very family oriented. Uh, things mean a lot to him. Uh, and a lot of, he takes a lot of uh, things, you know, holds them close to his heart. And his part of the show is going to be great, uplifting stories and heartwarming stuff and, and uplifting things. And then I get to be the one who inappropriately says something really wrong. And uh, you know, the darker side of trap rock is what I like to say, the dark side of trap rock. Uh, yeah, Definitely. You and Bob Carwin should should do a project together sometime. Fucking Bob Carwin, that <laughs> guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So we got some beef with Bob Carwin. There's a classic. We we've always wanted to try to uphold the hip hop backbone that doesn't exist in trap rock and make sure to have beefs with everybody. Oh, uh, our last beef was pretty much with Bob Carwin, but uh, we're on other sides of the country, and then COVID happened, so that went nowhere. We tried really hard to start a beef with him, but even oh. being on the East Coast, talking our gangster accents, I don't think anything didn't light a match. Yeah, I remember something about this now. I remember the right we before COVID. Covey, but uh, with Colby, Colt, Coley McCabe, excuse me, Coley. Uh, but I guess the thing is with the big beef I had with Coley is, is I didn't tell anybody but Dan about it. <laughs> so, there's no way for it to go forward. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't tell anybody about the beef, it, it's not really going to take off and become a thing. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. I learned it the hard way. So I want to hear how you, your thought process and your reaction to Coast, um, which, you know, is, is now the detention song that, that even people who yeah. don't really know you know about. Did you know that it was going to be something when, when you first heard it? Uh, no. I mean, did you think it was substantially better than anything that y'all had done to that point? Or I don't know. I think I thought it was probably great uh, as, as far as like us just writing songs and, and work with our producer, Ron Flint. And Dan just woodshedding his shit and getting better and better at songwriting you know you gotta hand it to that freaking dude um all day long but uh, i didn't really know there are songs that i thought were more ear would catch my ear more than that that we've done so uh i never you know we're a cover band from austin that are sitting in the back of the pasta restaurant or the Wings restaurant. No one pays attention to us, and we do our little songs. And we got our group of fans here in town. But uh, and then one day yeah. you were on Radio Margaritaville. Yeah, I had no idea. Who knew? 
we, it was kind of cool once we were able to like hook up with Mac Mac and Allie. And then after that, we hooked up with you. And that's kind of when things seemed like they started rolling. Uh, but I will t- tell you that that a uh, couple of months after Coast hit on the radio was a it was an interesting time. Not like we're famous, like we should be on VH1 and have our own documentary or whatever. But <laughs> the detentions behind all the, the music. work we've done years that led up to that was eclipsed in a month and then the next month it was double eclipsed and the months after that it was quadruple eclipsed and it's just kind of crazy how it went getting emails from people from greece and new zealand and and yeah it was uh it was a surprise pleasant surprise did y'all know that it was getting i mean did y'all find out before it went into the rotation or did it just happened and y'all found well, out afterwards. Like Dan likes to tell his story how uh, he was teaching school and he saw he was getting ready to, to teach and the phone rang and he couldn't answer it, but he saw it was a phone number from Key West and he's just like, oh, bullshit, whatever. Uh, and then a couple of classes later, he saw that they left a message and he listened to it. And it was Kirsten Winquist saying, hey, we're going to play Coast. And he thought, oh, they'll play it once. Boom, done. But uh, that was the little beginning of the little song that could. Um, and it just keeps chugging. And at chugging. that point, Kirsten was probably living in Austin, wasn't she? I mean, I know she did at some point, and it was right around that time. She did at some point. I don't know if it was at that point or whatever. I, 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 I was not uh, – I did not get called by Kirsten Winquist. Uh, we've only had the really embarrassing, uncomfortable encounters. The first <laughs> time I met Kirsten was uh, in Austin, but Dan and I had been – Shit, I think Dan and I had been at Austin City Limits all day, and we were going to go do something. And we ran into her on the street downtown in Austin. I was drunk and sweaty. It was the first time we met her, and Dan's like, that's Kirsten Rehnquist. So I ran up, and I picked her up and wrapped her in a 32-second-long, inappropriate, sweaty hug. So I think I I fucked kind of some stuff up there with that. Uh, but uh, and then people were calling Radio Margaritaville, going, "Hey, why don't you play the detentions anymore?" <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen after that. It's like, oh, that hug was too long. Oh, and I'm all sweaty. It was like grabbing a giant sponge. Uh, so yeah, it's the first time we met her, but uh, you know, she's got quite a job uh, programming Jimmy Buffett Station. So. We're happy that we got that one over, you know, home plate. We got sunburned in there a lot. Yes. Uh, Sunburn gets played a lot, uh, but nothing's like coast, I guess. First time we played, I think the first time I thought coast was kind of a thing was we're playing stingery, uh, crystal beach. Yeah. And we went down, I think to hang out um, and met Jerry because uh, Jerry was playing a gig and he had us come up and we got up and started playing coast. And all of a sudden all these people were standing in front of us recording us on their cell phones. And that had never, that had never happened before. That was a, kind of the first time. So I was, I was, you know, this sometime in the spring after it got on the radio and that, that was kind of something. 
Hey y'all, this is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. So uh, I want to go back, uh, back to Nebraska and, and give you some time to talk about the music you listened to growing up, which I know was a lot of heavy metal, which is pretty unique background for anybody in, in the trop rock community. So just tell us about your heavy metal obsession and what you listened to when you were growing uh, up and in college. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, to be real honest, my heavy metal obsession did not start till I was an adult. As a child, uh, and then growing up and all through college and I had in high school and everything, I was a half and half guy. I liked your Iron Maiden and your Kiss especially, uh, Priest, um, but I was also really loved the Beatles. I loved the Police. Uh, Men at Work, that dude, Colin Hay, who sings for Men at Work, is the greatest fine singer in the world. Uh, when I got into college, it turned a little more punk rock, you know, because I'm from Wayne, Nebraska. We didn't even have MTV. I didn't know nothing. <laughs> and I got got to college, and I heard XDC and The Replacements, which soon got replaced by, like, Robin Hitchcock and Soundgarden. So I was always a little bit heavy, but I really liked pretty metal melody i love melody um so that's why i was like that's why i thought the beatles and kiss were kind of my beginning and i always kind of followed that i always had a heavy stuff i liked and pretty stuff i liked but then when i moved to austin i went to a punk rock music festival i've been a big fan of clutch ever since i was a you know younger person or whenever not younger person college person since i was a middle young age person um and they play a lot in austin but i soon as I got here, oh, man, I just started going to all the concerts I possibly could. I think as soon as I moved here, I went to San Antonio to my first big show, and I saw uh, Motorhead, and uh, it was uh, Black Sabbath, but with Ronnie James Dio instead of Ozzy. It was heaven and hell. It was so freaking great. And Priest. And it was being... It, I don't know. I don't know if I should even say this. This is going to sound weird, but I'm from Nebraska where everybody's white. Um, and it was just a huge Hispanic crowd. And it kind of, I'm like, what, what is going on here? This is, and uh, I discovered the San Antonio music scene, which is pretty heavy and uh, made some friends here in town who are into seeing lots of bands. And I just started going here and lots of heavy stuff. So I suppose about 2003, 2004, my musical taste got considerably heavier than they ever had been. I like kind of pop metal stuff, Judas Priest and Kiss and all that. And, you know, it's it's not hard to listen to and it's not super fast and super crazy. But, uh, man, I love music that is super fast and super hard, and super crazy now. And it seems like uh, the more I listen to it, the more I find out about it, the more I like it. So... It's pretty much taken over everything. I will occasionally bounce back and listen to Willie or uh, uh, 
listen to some Texas stuff, Earl Pool Ball or James Hand. You know, I like the old school country stuff. But then again, Hank Three, he's the perfect halfway between super country and super metal. I, I kind of blame him. I think I listened to Hank Three before I moved here. And that might have started pushing me in the metal direction, too. His uh, ass stuff is pretty goofy, but I think just his regular country stuff is as close to metal as you're going to find. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think for most of us, certainly anybody who's listening to this podcast, when they hear metal, they think, you know, Black Sabbath or Judas Priest or Metallica. And you're kind of like, oh, that's just the shallow end of metal is what you're telling us. It's pop. It's pop music. It is real. It's rock and roll music. It's pop music. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not uh, super heavy. I've turned Dan to the dark side a lot. We've gone and seen a lot of metal stuff. And Dan, I think, uh, Gojira, they're a French metal band. That's probably one of his favorites. Uh, he really likes Slipknot. I was pretty impressed with that. Uh, I took him to a death metal festival called Summer Slaughter. I took our friend Quentin, the drummer, with us, too. Mm -hmm. And we watched uh, Necrogoblicon, Cattle Decapitation, uh, tons of death metal bands, and they were all about it. So uh, hopefully I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start something in the Trump rock world. I know uh, everybody likes to go to the freaking dungeon in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, we're getting trap rock on the heavy metal side that way. So that works out too. Uh, that was so funny. Last time we we're in New Orleans, and Dan and I are used to like uh, our friend Chris, uh, Miss Chimienta, Sheila Chimienta. Uh, Sheila. When we first met her, she's like, Oh, Chris has been listening to Trap Rock all night. I don't think he looks very good. I've got a place for him to go. And she took us there for the first time. And yeah. It's been a secret place when, when Dan is like, Oh, shit, Hillier needs to go unwind for a little bit let's get him to the dungeon and uh last time we were there and we showed up in town late at midnight <laughs> all you guys are waiting out the street and like 40 of us went in there jerry everybody that and the clinkers oh my god it was the funniest damn thing yeah that place is for those folks who haven't been to the dungeon it is very small uh quite dark and extremely loud uh, if you are claustrophobic, it is not the place for you. Yeah. Any place that has red painted walls, man, you got to watch out what happens when you're in there. <laughs> oh, and I, another thing I wanted to, to give you a chance to talk about a little bit. When you were here in October, you and I sat here at my table for a while before you went and played yep. the show. Uh, you were telling me about that. You've got quite the, uh, the collection of vinyl records and memorabilia and stuff. And oh, well, I used to have, a really incredible collection of picture discs is what I used to collect. And I had a immense collection, uh, but the house I lived in in college, which was like the band house, you know, uh, we all kept our records all together in milk crates in a corner of the living room. And my roommate had a dog and it turns out that every morning for however many years that dog lived in the house for seven years, that dog would walk by the records and pee on them as he walked by. And we would play records sometimes, but not usually my records, like Judas Priest, uh, Angels and Rust picture disc, and the, you know, a Kiss Japanese import picture disc stuff. Most those just stayed in the crate. But when I moved out, I looked uh, 
all my records had been melted together from the years of a dog. They were like one solid chunk wow. of vinyl. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I do have a real interesting record collection now. I have friends who've bought me records every year for my birthday. They bought me a record player. Um, I probably won't talk about them. Just, I don't want to upset anybody, but um, I have the complete collection of a specific band. And uh, that's what I do every year on my birthday is play them all. Uh, they have an album with their top 100 hits and it's 19 minutes long. All of the songs are on one side. And then if you flip it over, all the songs are also on the other side. Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, they, they buy me all the fancy. I've got, uh, I like Devin Townsend. They got me some signed Devin Townsend stuff. Uh, uh, Amon Amarth, Viking Heavy Metal, which makes really cool fold-out albums. They bought me all theirs. Uh, Clutch, I told you I love Clutch. They bought me a bunch of Clutch stuff. So I'm building it back up. I, I, I'm, I'm a guy who it's so easy to have all my music on my phone. And I can cast it to a dozen speakers in the house or in my car or whatever. It's just so much easier. But uh, I do appreciate the artistry and the kind of physicalness of a vinyl record, I guess. I could also say that I, I appreciated that about CDs and cassettes. Yeah, I'm, I'm like you. Uh, it's nice to have literally pretty much everything on your phone. Um, <laughs> but it's nice. It's nice to have, you know, a physical something. To me, the vinyl records, uh, two things is, is the artwork, you know, even on a even on a basic uh, vinyl record that that they did on the cheap, the artwork's still better than anything you were ever going to find on a CD or a cassette. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then also I have found I, I'm a guy who who really believes in an album as a complete work of art, you know, uh, start to finish eight, 10, 12 tracks, however many. Uh, I love vinyl records because they make me sit down and pay attention to it. You know, uh, every 20 minutes, you got to get up and flip it. So you can't right. just zone out on it. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, let's, we, we've gone back in time. We've talked about all the history. Let's, uh, let's talk about some, some more uh, current things. Well, one, one thing that's right. kind of, I guess, kind of the bridge. Uh, what's the album process like for you guys? Um the album process, like yeah, like 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 at what point? What point do, do y'all say okay, we need to put out a record? You know, is it is it kind of an organic thing? I know I know you you've gotten the recording process down to a pretty uh pretty standard process for y'all now. So just kind of kind of talk about that process for us from the time that y'all start gathering up songs to the time it's released. Um, it might be a little bit different. We uh tried to come out with a. Uh, like a business plan when we started uh, just to have goals every three years to say, you know, we're getting off book, we're doing this. And, uh, you know, when we first decided to do, a, do our first CD, I think a lot of people make CDs and they're kind of vanity projects. They don't really have a business plan. And we did our first one that way, but when we, it came time to do the second one. We went, why, who cares? Albums are dead selling this stuff. There's really no point other than try to catch somebody's eye or, you know, you never know if you're going to get lightning in a bottle and get something on the radio like Coaster. We're trying to sell to somebody, you know, we let's do it smart. So that's when we started getting involved with the producer um, to help us figure that kind of stuff out. But I would say times are so different now. We spent so much time and so much money. 
uh, our last one. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Took forever, and we worked so hard, and we spent so much. And in this day and age, recouping that kind of stuff is hard to do. So I think we have a ton of new music. We haven't really got together to practice any of it. Uh, but uh, I would say that we are probably, who knows if we're going to record something or not, as far as an album is concerned. I would say probably we're going to do singles yeah. and see those sell because that's what's consistently sold over the years is singles but uh we've got stuff the last time took so long and it was so much work because we pushed it hard we tried to be pros about the whole thing with the put it together doing uh press the right way uh then going out touring behind it it was it was well over a year yeah and it we did really well and our tour worked out real well. It's the first one we did that was in, you know, the fully in the black. Uh, but God damn, that was a lot of work. Um, and I don't know if people want albums anymore. Some of us do, but I don't know if the general buying public does. They just want singles. Probably that's easy to tour behind and easier to put together than doing a whole record. Yeah. I don't know if that's what we're going to do. We haven't really talked about it. Um, we're really kind of enjoying just uh, hanging out. We worked really hard for 15 years uh, having those other jobs, you know, as teachers. I think we did the math and it was pretty much like we worked two and a half extra days a week for 15 years <laughs> trying to get, you know, this stuff going. And it's we're real proud of where we got. We're thrilled and couldn't imagine in a million years that the detentions would have got this far. But uh, the future is different. We've got, we may have some uh, different sort of ideas about how we want to go forward. Um, Family is important for us, and uh, we haven't been able to be around them for quite some time. That's a weird thing to say. Um, but, you know, Dan has, Dan's got a ton of tunes, and I actually have two tunes that were pretty much haven't been put through the crucible of being live all the time, but they're, I think they're a place where they're worthy of being recorded. So yeah, we'll just see. I was telling somebody this the other day. Does a solo album. You might see that coming somewhere down. Oh, that could be interesting. Yeah. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, uh, Dan and Chris are kind of unique in that, um, you know, a, a good number of, of the artists in the trap rock world are full-time musicians. So they, they tour throughout the year, you know, um, they might be gone for a couple, three weeks here, a couple three weeks there week here. You guys do almost all of your true touring in about a 10 week span from early June to mid August because of yeah. your full-time jobs as teachers. And, uh, you know, we fly out, out a lot on weekends. I would say for the last five, six years, one or two weekends a month, we're lucky enough to fly to Detroit or wherever we usually go and, and play. That happens a lot too. Yeah, but I watch y'all y'all just run yourselves ragged uh, in the summertime because that's your real you know that's your chance to really get out and and tour and cover a lot of ground, and you got to yeah. cram it all in. And I you know yeah. 
unlike some of these other groups that tour, uh, like Drop Dead Dangerous uh, or Donnie, um, they can take breaks, you know, every few weeks, once a month. You guys, you just kind of have this window that you got to hit as hard as you can. We, I think, learned when we first started it the first time we played everything and it almost broke the band up. And then the second year we did the same thing and it didn't almost break the band up, but it almost killed both of us. <laughs> so I think the fourth, you know, the fifth time, the fourth tour was pretty smart. We took time off and we didn't, you know, we would play a couple days, we'd take a couple days, make sure to rest and tried. We are changed our personal habits on the road quite a bit. Uh, we tried to hide a lot, you know, if they, instead of spending a day hanging out and being at the festival, we would go to a day long movie or something like that, just to kind of get away. We pretended we were treating ourselves really well because we would always eat a six inch veggie from Subway for lunch. We had for a while thought that was being super healthy on the road. But I think the more you do it, Donnie knows for sure. And I know the girls know, and it just, you gotta, you gotta take some time off. You can't, the first time we did it, we started in Porte or Kima, and then the next day we played New Orleans, and then we had a day of driving, and then we did nine out of 12 days in Florida. And after the second day, which is our first gig in Florida, I just wanted to quit the band. I wanted to quit. <laughs> I hated it. And, but I wasn't smart enough to figure it out because it was like it was so much fun to be out. You never thought like, oh, my God. Will I ever be playing, you know, driving a car full of speakers through Florida playing again? Who knows? So let's make sure we remember or don't remember this one. Yeah. Well, I don't know what kind of idiot booked that many shows in a row for you, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was our idea. I'll just say we had help, but it was our idea to book that many. So, well, hey, man, we always uh, wrap up each episode of Chopper Rock 101 with some rapid fire questions. So, uh, yeah. actually, before we get to the rapid fire questions, one one important. So, at what point did you really become aware of Jimmy Buffett as more than just the Margaritaville cartoon character that, that some people know him as? Wow. How long have I been living the pretty much Jimmy Buffett lifestyle? Um Eight, eight years, maybe. I would say that the first Jimmy Buffett album that I really liked was Weather With You. And that was probably when I first, like, on purpose would listen to Jimmy Buffett. And that, I, was the, I loved, that was the fall of 2004 when that record came out. Okay, so that was probably the no, first 2006, time. 2006, 2006, sorry. Yeah. The first time I listened to him seriously was that record because I liked that so much when I when Dan first made me listen to it or however I, I came about it. We were playing his music before that, but I think the that album coming out and then going up playing for Mac McAnally the first time because I really didn't know what any of it was about. Um and then probably meeting you guys. So, you know, it, it all started in 2006 or seven, probably. Oh, cool. And then, and then there were moments where things expanded, uh, meeting you for the first time and coming to play with Jerry. That's something that whole world expanded there. And then uh, when Coast went and that everything kind of blew up there. So 
it, it was probably three. It happened in three kind of Jimmy Buffett earthquakes. Weather <laughs> with you, then John Boy and Jerry Diaz, and then Coast. That's kind of how it went. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready for the uh, rapid fire questions? I'm ready to roll. <clears throat> All right. What is your favorite? Okay, not ready. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? My favorite Jimmy Buffett song is uh, what is that song? Uh, my dad and I don't love Jesus. My head hurts, my feet yep. stink, and I, and I don't love Jesus. I think that's probably my favorite one. Uh, uh, I do like the live version of that uh, song where he talks about going up and drinking booze with the bear on the hill. <laughs> Uh, and then on is what live in three by two time or whatever that album is living and dying in three quarters time. Yeah. Yeah. Dan and I actually were coming back from party Gras one year and we listened to it on the drive home and it made us both laugh so hard. I think we had to pull over at a gas station to listen to the rest of the song. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway, your favorite cocktail. <sighs> oh, a Pim's cup. Uh, okay, I I don't know what that is. You got to give us some details. It's a champagne with a splash, a, a floater of Pim's, uh, served at a uh, beach bar somewhere. Yeah. Mm, okay. Nice. Maybe a little like uh, raspberry thrown in it. Yeah. Ah, a fruity drink. Not too, pretty dry. Pim's is dry. It's a real dry sort of vermouthy sort of liqueur. Maybe more of an orange liqueur, like a, uh, I almost said spinal tap. That's not a liqueur. I'm thinking of a triple <laughs> sec. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite beach. Oh, I don't know if I want to tell you guys, because then you'll go there. You have to tell us, and, and and we're not supposed to go anywhere right now. So okay, it's uh definitely uh, the bay at Governor's Harbor in Eleuthera. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm I don't know where you're talking about. I can't find it. I need more than that. Eleuthera is one of the outer Bahamian islands. Ah, okay. And it's got 150 some beaches on the island. And if uh, you go to a place called Bolera Bay, uh, that's my private little moon-shaped uh, sandy beach with all the coral and um, the most beautiful place I have ever seen in the world. All right. Uh, what is your favorite song by an independent trap rock artist besides The Detentions? So my independent, uh, you know, I would probably say, um, I do like Mike McHenry's song, Red Right Returning. I think that's a really pretty song. I know that we covered it, but that I think that's beautiful. He and Dan wrote that together. That's a, that's a real sentimental, pretty song. All right. What is a, a book that you enjoyed reading that you think other people should check out? Oh, oh. let's see. I uh, just reread a comic book. 
It's a, a little comic book called Kingdom Come. Alex Ross is the artist, and he came up kind of with the story. As far as a real book, you know, I did like the, uh, not the HBO version of the book, but the uh, Lovecraft Country book. I thought that was really cool and fun to read. Okay. Next question. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett album, full album? Oh, I told you that already. That's the uh, Weather With You. Weather With You. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty good album. I love it. And it's, I think it's all covers, maybe. Uh, there's a couple of originals in there, but yeah, it's, you know, okay. it's 80, 90% uh, covers. Is uh, Dan and I, yeah, that, um, I was actually a uh, I had seen the band Gomez live, I think at Austin city limits. And all of a sudden I'm like, what they do a song with Jimmy Buffett. They cover, uh, it's not crowded house. Who are they before their split ends? They cover that split end song, weather with you. I'm like, what? I fucking love split ends. And, uh, I heard that song. It's like, God damn it. That's a beautiful song. And then so many, all those uh, Bama Breeze and all the tunes. On. Oh, that is the album that had Bama Breeze. It had Bama Yeah. And uh, uh, God, what's this, this slow song? Uh, breathe In, Breathe Out. It's on that record. Yup. Beautiful song. What a yep. gorgeous song. And that uh, Dukes on Sunday. That's a cool waste. That, uh, we used to listen to that album all the time out at the pool. That was part of the heavy rotation out in my backyard. It was that album. It was... Uh, Welcome to Jam Rock by Damian Marley. And then uh, uh, a guy named Red Volkert. He's a, a Telecaster player. I think he used to play uh, back up Merle Haggard, but he's an Austin guy. And uh, has the perfect uh, album, like Smoke Weed and Drink Some Light Beer and Float Out in the Pool, too. Is uh, Jimmy Buffett, Damian Marley, and Red Volkert. A perfect afternoon. Chris Hillier's Afternoon by the Pool. There you go. And uh, by the way, folks, if, if you can hear, I don't, Chris, can you hear the rain on your end? I cannot. Nope. Okay. Uh, there's a monsoon happening here right now. Uh, so I can bear to hear you for the rain and I'm wearing headphones. But uh, anyway, last question. Uh, if you are going to build a Mount Rushmore of trap rock artists, independent trap rock artists, Jimmy Buffett is not eligible. Neither is Dan Sullivan or yourself. So four independent trap rock artists on Mount Rushmore of trap rock. What four people would you put up there? Oh, man. Who's going to look good with their face carved into a giant rock? Oh, Sonny Jim for sure. SJ. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd think an answer would be Donnie Brewer, but getting those curls and those, those, uh, that buck teeth of his on, onto stone, that'd just be too much of an endeavor for any sort of artist to, so I don't think we could put it. It'd be too much, too much. The structural integrity wouldn't be able to hold. Uh, let's see. Oh, you know who's got a pretty face that would go nice up on the side of a mountain and be that, uh, is it John Patty? Is that the pans playing guy? JP? Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jerry Diaz. What a fan. What a, a face destined to be carved into stone. Jerry Diaz. Sure. <laughs> So we're going to go with Sonny Jim, John Patty, Jerry Diaz, and the ghost of Donnie Brewer? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the skinny face. They, they have to do some sort of work. His 
Donnybrower couldn't be carved in. It'd have to be like a hologram that they project up on the side. Okay. Like a film projection of his face. It couldn't actually be carved in stone. It did. Yeah. The okay. earth wouldn't hold. Yeah. Underneath that giant stone hat of his. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, and uh, the final question, we're going to add one more person to that Mount Rushmore. This is a non-musician member of the community. Who would that be? Oh, this is what I see. This is what I see. Um, okay. It probably wouldn't be attached to the mountain. And I was thinking they might be able to build some sort of structure behind a mountain, but I don't think, I don't think that's going to work either. It's, I think what this has to be is this, this is a structure that needs to be so enormous. It can actually be seen from its orbit in space. <laughs> and I think you need to have the faces of the COVID version of Tom Clinker and Nancy Martin with Tom's Florida Gators hat, his giant white beard. And you would just see that off. Like if the moon was a little extra close and yeah. float up, up in space, it'd be their two faces. All right. So uh, Mount Rushmore, Sunday Jim, Donnie Brewer, John Patty, Jerry Diaz, and off to the side or behind it or whatever, the, the alien monument of uh, the Clinkner Martins. Hell yeah, sure. Yeah, a giant <laughs> space station. All right. Well, Chris, uh, I appreciate you doing this, man. It's good to talk to you. And uh, Oh, you too, my friend. You know, I got kind of used to seeing you and Dan and uh, you and you and Chris, you, sorry, you and Dan every couple months, you know, and then and then now yeah. I've only seen you once in the last year or so. So hopefully, hopefully 2021 will uh, we'll, we'll get its act together soon and uh, uh, we'll yeah. see each other. I look forward to a return to uh, what uh, simulates the before times. I'll tell yes, you that. For sure. So, uh, well, take care of yourself, man. Give Dan a hug for you me too. and I will see you soon. All right. Raise yourself a PIMS cup when you have the chance. All right. Thank you, man. Ciao.